Well, good morning and welcome to the Mount. If we have not had the privilege to meet yet, my name is Adam and I'm the lead pastor here. And whether you are joining us at our Fredericksburg campus, at our online campus all over the world, where you happen to be, here in room at our Stafford campus, or maybe in overflow here at our Stafford campus, we are excited to be with you today as we celebrate the person and the work of Jesus. And it is such a privilege together with you. Well, if you are new, we are in week number two of a series titled Together. And what we are doing is through the course of August, we are taking a moment as a church and we're talking about what makes us us. What makes us unique as a church? What is the mount and the people that make it up? Why? What is our mission, our values, our, our vision? Where do we see ourselves two to three to five years from now? And for those of you that maybe are new for the first time today, we said that there is a verse that is kind of underneath all of this series and is found in the third chapter of the book of Ephesians that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus when he says this. He says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish, let's try this again. Bold means you say it, okay? So he, he, through, through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think or some versions of scripture say dream or imagine. The idea here behind this verse is that we as a church believe that there is a God who is so powerful, so big, so good, so mighty, that when we as people who make up the church lean into him and really seek him and pray and ask him what he wants, his will to be done, what we will find is not only corporately as a church, but individually in each of our lives, he will do through his power more than we could ever ask, think, dream, or imagine. Because he is a bold, big God. And we said last week, we said that what we believe determines what we do. And if we believe that God is a big God who can accomplish infinitely more than we might ever ask, dream, think, or imagine, or plan, then we must live according to what we believe. If God is bold and big, then we must live bold and courageous. We said that as a church, our desire, not only corporately as a church, but individually, is that we would be the type of church and the type of people who are kingdom-minded, who are big-dreaming, bold-thinking, risk-taking people who are willing to do anything and everything to advance the kingdom of God here in our communities, wherever our campuses are, and all through the world. And we said that we were gonna do over the next couple years several key things to help us kind of move in this direction. If you remember, we said the first thing is we're going to introduce more people to the story of Jesus. We want to introduce more people to the story of Jesus. We believe with everything in us that the story of Jesus, his, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection and his eventual return at the end of times as we find in scripture is the story that is above and beyond any story the world has ever known. It is the story that has the power to change and transform everything and everyone. And we wanna introduce people to that story more and more. We said last week there are two ways we're gonna go about this. We said the first way is that we're gonna invite people to join us. And we're gonna come back to that in just a little bit, but the other way is that we want to go to others. We wanna to go to them. 
We said that the church at its best always function as thrived when it is bold and courageous. And the local church, if we believe that it is the hope of the world, it is only the hope of the world if it is mobilized. It is not the hope of the world if it just sits there in its comfortable building and waits for people to come to it. So as a church, as people who make up the church, we wanna go to others. What does that look like? That means we're gonna serve people in our community over the next couple years. And the Mount has a rich history of doing this, but we wanna lean in and really trust God to do some big things. And as we ramp that up, as we go to the people in our community who maybe are the, the least of these, the people who are overlooked, the outcasts, the broken, the people who they think if someone from church who believes in Jesus comes near them, they will be judged. We wanna go to them and serve them. We wanna lay down, sacrifice our wants and our desires to help them, provide for them, Pray for them, hug them, for those of you that are comfortable with that. Love them. We wanna be the church in our communities and in our cities and in our world. The other way we go to people is we said that we believe in planting and launching new campuses. If you are new to the Mount, you'll know that we have several campuses. We are one church meeting in multiple locations. We have our Stafford campus, which also houses our Spanish-speaking El Monte campus. We have our Fredericksburg campus down in Fredericksburg, and we love you guys so much. And we have our online campus that's reaching people all over the world. And we said last week that one year from now, in August 2024, we're going to be launching our Bealton campus in the area of Bealton, Virginia. Now, when I say this, you might be like, why Bealton? Like, that's random, that's up there. Uh, one, I'll just be honest with you. We prayed about it, and we felt like that's where the Lord was leading us. Two, Bealton is this interesting community that is kind of strategically growing rapidly for, this, for that county that it's in. It's actually the fastest growing area of that county, if you kind of think about Bealton and Remington and that area there. But what's even more interesting, if you draw a 10-mile circle around Bealton, what you find is within that 10-mile circle... There are about 35 or so thousand people. And if you take just the churches represented in this area, the attendance at those churches runs about 500 on a consistent basis. What that means is that there are thousands and tens of thousands of people who either are not going to church anywhere or they are driving 25, 30 minutes to find a local church where they can do life and community with. And we believe with everything in us that the Mount is positioned to go into this community and to offer something different than every other church that is there. We think it's the best use of our resources that God has given us, and it is our next bold move. And so we're excited about that. And I do wanna let you know this. Maybe you uh, have been attending the Mount for a while, and maybe you're online or at one of our other physical locations, and you're like, man, I, I wanna be a part of this built-in launch. I, I wanna sacrifice some of my time and energy to go and help it get started. We would love for that. Or maybe you uh, live in the Bealton, Remington, Culpeper, Warrington area. Or maybe you've got friends or family or coworkers who live there. And let me just say this. Maybe your next step is to scan this QR code. And this will take you to a little form where you can just fill out a form and you're not signing up to do anything. You're just literally signing up to say, I want more information about this campus as it gets closer and closer. And we would love to have you be praying for this, 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 this new thing that we think God is going to be doing there. And so first, we want to introduce more people to the story of Jesus. Secondly, we want to strengthen our discipleship culture. 
We want to strengthen our discipleship culture, and we're going to talk about this next week, and so I'm really excited, and so I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but I'm just going to say this. We want to be the type of church that doesn't just go wide, but the kind of church that goes deep. We want to be the type of church where no matter how long you have been journeying with Jesus, whether you are here for the very first time and you believe nothing that we believe, or whether you are 98 years old and you were born in the church and you've been following him for 98 years old, there is always another step you can take in your spiritual life. And we wanna be a part of helping you figure that out and discern it. We also wanna be the type of church when it comes to our discipleship culture that sends people out. We wanna be the type of church and the type of people that isn't about building our buildings and our attendance and our stuff. We recognize that we live in a culture where people move and they go other places and we wanna take people from the moment they got here and whether that's two years, five years, 10 years, 30 years, help them grow in such a way that when they leave here, they are able to have a bigger kingdom impact wherever they go, whatever church they join because all of us are working for the same thing, the kingdom of God. Lastly, we want to increase our culture of generosity. We want to increase the culture of generosity we have around here. We live in a world, and you, you guys know this, we live in a world where people are kind of skeptical of generosity. I mean, even as a Christ follower, I'm skeptical of generosity at times. Someone does something nice to us, and we're like, oh, all right, that's, what's the catch? Like, we want to know what the hook is. What's the deal? Like, the bait and switch. Like, what, what's going to happen? And there's, just, there's this, this thing in our culture that when someone is generous, we put up a wall, especially if it's people who believe in Jesus. And so what we want to do as a church is we want to be the type of church, the type of people that are so unapologetically generous to a world that is skeptical about generosity. We want our generosity to overflow in such a way that when people hear about us and the mount, they say, I don't believe what they believe. I've never even gone to their building. But man, they're different. They're the real deal. Something about them is just different. And so for this morning, what I want to do is I really want to focus on this idea of introducing more people to the story of Jesus by inviting them to join us. Our mission, if you are new here at the Mount, is to make a difference for one more. It's, it's everything, I said this last week, it's everything we do, all of our energy, our passions, our prayer life, our planning, our dreaming, our, our creative juices, it's to help make a difference for one more person. That can be one more person who's outside of these walls, who has never been to church. That might be a person, we wanna make a difference in the life of someone who's been following Jesus their whole life, help them take that next step. But we exist to make a difference for one more. Everything we do is about us sacrificing and laying down our wants and our desires and our preferences so that other people's lives can be different. In fact, we believe in this so much because the person we follow, the person we believe in, Jesus, said this himself. In fact, in scripture, you'll see this in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus said this. He said, for the son of man, that's him, by the way, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus says, my mission, my purpose, my existence is to go and find the people who are far from their relationship with God and to point them back to saving faith and grace and forgiveness. It is everything he did. And he taught about it over and over again in scripture. We see in the Bible, if you're familiar with it, we see where Jesus talks about the lost sheep 
the lost coin, the lost son. We see where he gives these examples and he says, wouldn't any shepherd leave the 99 to go after the one who was lost and confused? And it's not because the masses or the the 99 faithful, devoted people who believe in Jesus don't matter. No, no, they matter just a lot. But Jesus says the person who is lost, the one matters more. And it was who he was. Not only that, but it's what he commanded his followers to do. He told them to go and tell the world about him, to teach them, to baptize them, to explain all of his teachings so that they understood and had saving faith and a maturing growth in him throughout their years of following him. In fact, it was amazing to see that you look at scripture and what you see is consistently over and over as his followers begin to live this out. In fact, there's this recurring theme that you see in scripture over and over again where found people find people. It comes up over and over again, this idea that found people find people. We see this in John chapter one in the life of a guy by the name of Andrew. Jesus comes to Andrew and says, Andrew, follow me. And Andrew's like, sure, absolutely. But in the process of following Jesus, we're told he goes and finds his brother, Simon, and he says, Simon, I want you to come see this guy by the name of Jesus. I think he's the Messiah. And he brings him. In scripture, he doesn't just invite him. I love it. He says he brought Simon to Jesus. And we see this also just later in the chapter. It says this as the chapter continues. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He said, Nazareth, like he's like, hey, come. And he's like, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Nathanael asked, what did he ask? Come and see. Listen, Philip's basically like, hey, come see this dude named Jesus. And he's like, but yeah, but like, I got lots of questions. Like, can anything good come from there? What about this? What about this? And basically, in Philip, in essence, is like, listen, I, I can't answer all your questions. But here's what I know. Just come and see. Just, I saw something. I experienced something. And I just, I just, I just, I can't explain it. I can't fully articulate it. I don't have all the right words. I can't argue with you about whether he's from the right town or the wrong. No, no. All I can say is just come and see this guy by the name of Jesus. Because once you see him, once you experience him, you will be changed forever. Do you see the formula? Just in case you missed it, check this out. Jesus found Philip, Philip found Nathaniel, and in turn, Nathaniel found Jesus. Found people find people. It's what we do. It's who we are. We see this again in the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus sees her, talks to her, she immediately runs back to her town and says, listen, come and meet this dude. Just, just come and see this guy who told me everything about me. Found people, find people. Why? Because once we've experienced and seen what Jesus does, we can't help but want others to see and experience it too. It's what we do. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like, great. Like, am I like somebody's project? Like, I got invited because I'm like, they're a project? No, 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 no. You're here today because someone invited you, and I just want you to know this. We're so glad you're here 
but you are here. They invited you because they love you and they care about you and they want you to know that God has done something in their lives and they can't wait for you to see and experience what he does. Because it's a fundamental human thing about us. When we see and experience something magnificent, we tell people. You, you see a beautiful sunset, you take a picture and you post it for people. And you're like, look at God's beauty. You, you go to a great concert, you tell people, oh, if you get the chance, you should go see blah, blah, blah in concert. They're so great, it was so awesome. And I just wanted to stay there all day even though it cost $1,000, blah, 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 it was awesome, right? You eat a great meal, you become like a walking advertisement. Oh, you're going to there? Oh, you gotta try this. This is so good. Don't eat this though. This is make you too full and you gotta save room for dessert. Like you're, you, you are telling people what you saw and experienced. Why? Because when something changes us, we share it. We tell others about it. We see this in Acts chapter four when some of the original followers of Jesus, they got arrested for talking about Jesus. Look at this. The religious leaders say, what should we do with these men? They're like, what do we do? Like, they just keep talking about this Jesus guy over and over again, talking about him. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda, I love that word, right? Their propaganda, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. They said, listen, God did something. We can't deny it. The people in Jerusalem can't deny it. There was a miracle. Something happened. Even the religious leaders, they're enemies said something happened here and they said but we can't just we can't have them talking about it all the time they're they're causing this movement this rebellion this this chaos scripture tells us right before this that they are turning the world upside down because of their constant talking about Jesus so the religious leaders they called the apostles back in and they commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus but Peter or John replied and listen to the reply. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We, huh. They didn't say we, we'll think about it. They didn't say we might be able to cool it down a little bit. No, they said we cannot stop about everything that we have seen and heard. They basically said, listen, we can't stop. And what's funny to me, sometimes what scripture doesn't say is just as important as what it does say. Notice it doesn't say, we cannot stop telling about our theology. We cannot stop posting our political view about Jesus on Facebook. We cannot stop arguing right or wrong beliefs. No, no, no. It says, we can't stop telling about what we've seen and heard. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but right theology is not the most attractive thing to someone who doesn't know Jesus. There is a proper time and a proper place for right theology where we unpack what we believe, the deep core truths of scripture and how they flesh out in our daily lives. But the attractionality of the local church, the attractionality of Jesus' followers to an unreached world is the things that we have seen and heard. What I mean by that is what attracts people to Jesus is not right theology, it is you. It is the story of you going from death to life. It is the story of you going from addiction to freedom. 
It is the story of your marriage going from broken and shambles, no way forward, to thriving and intimate and close like it's never been. It is the story of your kid who was lonely and depressed and isolated, finding purpose and significance in the world now. The story of Jesus taking people that were one thing and making them totally something else is the most attractional thing the world has ever known. Scripture says... Just come and see. And I would argue that if we, like us, the local church, those of us that profess to follow Jesus, I would argue that if we are functioning the way that God intends us to function, there will be something different about us. And that difference, regardless of what people believe, regardless of their faith questions, regardless of their doubts, they will be drawn to us. Why? Because the local church is the most powerful, persuasive environment on the planet. What do I mean by that? When we gather every single week, what happens in this room, there is no other organization or entity that can claim what we do. We gather in the name of Jesus to proclaim his goodness and his glory and learn from his word, and he powerfully moves through that. And I believe with everything in me that if we can take someone from the outside, someone who doesn't know Jesus, someone who is questioning, doubting, and struggling, whatever it happens to be, and we can get them in the room where the church is being, the church and the spirit of God is moving, God will do what only God can do. He will break down barriers, he will soften hearts, and lives will change. This is why, this is why I love like when I interact with people at any of our campuses, and whether they tell me or they tell a staff member or a key volunteer, and they'll be like, man, like it's like their first time here, right? And then they, they're leaving, and they're like, man, I don't know what that was, but that was not church. And I'm like, I know. And they're like, that just, that was different. There was something about it that I can't explain. I know, because something powerful happens when people come and see. In fact, the downside to this is there's a statistic done recently by a guy by the name of Dr. Tom Rainer in his book, Unchurched Next Door. And he, he found this. He said that 82% of people who do not regularly attend a church, 82% would go if someone they knew invited them. That's a huge, that's a huge number. Like, like, we hear in culture, right? Like, oh, Christian faith is dying, the church is shrinking, no, no, no. Like, some of the nuns, a person that's like, has no religious affiliation is growing, but the average church in America is growing. The number of people who profess to believe in Jesus is growing, but there are 82% of the people out there who don't attend any church would just say, man, if someone I knew would invite me, I would be willing to go and try it out. But in that same study, 98% of Christians never invite anyone. That means 82% of people would come if they were invited, but only 2% of us are inviting. And now, we're the mount. 
One of our values is to invite. So let's just say, I think, I think as a general rule, we are much better at this than maybe the average church in America. In fact, 18 months ago when I began the interview process here, that was one of the things I loved about the Mount was the culture of people consistently and faithfully inviting their friends and neighbors and coworkers. So let's just say as a church, we're 20 times better than the average church in America. That's still only 40% of us. Church, found people, find people. We are kingdom-minded, big-dreaming, bold-thinking, risk-taking people who desperately want others to see and experience Jesus the way we have. And this means as a church that we will do things that others are not doing to reach people that others are not reaching. Let me give you an example of this from Scripture. There's a story that happens in Luke chapter 5 and Mark chapter 2. And the way this story goes is Jesus uh, is gathering with his, and I, we'll read chapter five first, just part of it, and then go. But Jesus, the backstory here is Jesus has basically just performed this big miracle of helping cure someone of leprosy, a leper. This is a huge deal. We can read over this and be like, oh, well, he cured someone. He cures all people all the time, right? It's just another miracle. No, no, no. No one in the history of Israel, had, like recorded history ever, had ever been cured of leprosy. Why? Because the prophecies would say in the Old Testament in Isaiah that the only person who will be able to cure leprosy is the Messiah. So for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, there has not been a single Jewish person who had leprosy who was cured. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and cures one. And you can imagine the buzz this would create. You can imagine the controversy. And so the religious leaders were told in Luke chapter five, it says one day when Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law, the religious leaders were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So Luke tells us the backstory. The religious leaders come to hear Jesus teach. He just performed this miracle and they're like, okay, like maybe he's the Messiah. Let's hear him. Let's talk to him. Mark chapter two picks up with the rest of the story. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. We'll come back to that. Not even, whoa. Uh, and, he, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So Jesus, Jesus arrives back after healing this leper and he gets into his town and he goes to this house and all the religious leaders come and they all get inside the house and they're ready to hear him teach. And while this is happening, the crowd is growing larger and larger and larger, so large that there's no room in the house. People are having to stand outside the house to find room, just hoping that as the windows open up, they can hear the story, the teachings of what Jesus did. They just want to see him. They just want to experience who this guy is. And then we're told these four guys come up carrying one of their paralyzed friends, right? And what we don't know about these guys is how far they journey. But we know that they show up and there's four of them. And they may have journeyed for a very long time and they get here and they desperately want their friend to see and experience Jesus. Why? Maybe because they thought life change was gonna happen. Maybe they were like, I just don't wanna carry this dude back five miles. I go, we don't know, right? But we know at some level they wanted their friend to see and experience Jesus. And here's what I love about this. It took four of them. One guy didn't bring his friend to Jesus. Two guys didn't bring their friend to Jesus. It took four of them working together. What does that mean for us as a church? 
That means maybe you are serving in the parking lot or a greeter or in the kids ministry or leading middle school boys or high school boys or wherever you happen to be volunteering and you are just saying, man, I'm just doing this thing over and over and over again. Let me just tell you that every single role you serve here at the Mount, when someone else invites someone to come with them, you are working together with them to point them to see and experience Jesus in a new way. It takes all of us working together, every role and person is important. Now, look how this continues. So they carried by four men. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made a what? In where? Above Jesus by doing what? Threw it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Like, I, I love this, right? Like, like, they literally show up, they're outside the house, and like, oh, we gotta get him to Jesus. Look at the crowd. They dug a hole in someone else's roof. Now, you, if you've been around four guys together, you know how this probably went down. There was one friend, they carried him all the way, and he's like, I'm not walking him back. Like, that's not happening. Like, it's sweaty, and I'm just hot. You know what? I have an idea. And he's like, what if, just wait for it, like, what if we climb up on the roof, we dig a hole, and we just lower him down in there? <laughs> I love this. They were willing to do what no one else was doing to have their friends see and experience Jesus. And that's the kind of church we wanna be. A church that will do things that others are not doing to reach people that others are not reaching. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. We wanna be a church that digs holes so that others can see Jesus. Because think how this conversation could have went. They could have been standing out there and the friend could have been like, I had an idea. What if we like climb up on the roof, dig a hole, and lower Jesus? There could have been one of the friends that's like, yeah, I don't think we should do that. Uh, well, like it's not our house, so we can't just destroy someone's property. And even if we get up there, like what if we dig a hole and like the structure collapses and it kills Jesus? That's kind of a big deal, guys. Or... What if we get up there and we make a hole and as we're lowering our paralyzed friend down, we tip it and he falls down? Like, do we need to have him sign a waiver? Like, what, how does this work? Like, what's our insurance policy gonna cover this? Like, they had all the reasons in the world to not dream big or be bold or take a risk. But no, they decided because we want our friends to see and experience what has changed our life, we will dig holes so that he can see him. Church. We wanna be that type of church. We wanna be the type of church that does things that other people aren't doing so that people who are on the outside and don't know Jesus can finally one day meet him. And what that means, what that means is we're gonna try things over the next couple of years. And I'm just gonna tell you, those things, some of them are going to fail. And you're gonna be like, but why did we do that? That's so stupid, I could have told them that, no, no, no. Because we're trying new things to reach people that others are not reaching. We will try and we will try and some will work and some won't, but we will not stop because we will dig holes so that others can, people can meet Jesus. It's who we are, it's what we do. The story continues, this is my favorite part of this. Verse five, when Jesus saw, well hold up. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven? That doesn't make any sense to me. Why wouldn't it say when Jesus saw his faith? Here's what I want you to see. 
The paralyzed man's life was changed. His sins were forgiven, and he began to walk because of the faithfulness of his friends. What do I mean by that? They believed with everything in them. If we can get him in front of Jesus, Jesus will do what he does. And they believed that. It's the kind of church we want to be. We want to believe deep in our core that God is the one in control. He is the one in powerful. He's the one that changes lives. But if we can just get people to meet him, to see him, he will do what only he can do. And here's maybe the saddest thing about this story for me, just, just my opinion. There were people in the house, religious leaders, who could have made room for those on the outside, and they chose not to. And here's the deal. And there's this tendency in the American churches that once we get in the house, we forget about those on the outside. Because once we get in the house, everything becomes about our preferences and our wants and our needs. We want the volume a certain way. We want the lights turned up a little more, turned down a little more. We want this to happen in kids' ministry. We want this to happen in student ministry. We want the worship song to have less bass. We want the, the pastor to stop making us say words out loud. And it becomes our preferences that we want. And it all becomes about us and us and us and us and everything that we want. That we become so focused on what's happening inside of our house that we forget about those on the outside of the house. Tom Rainer in his book has this quote. I want you to hear this quote. When the preferences of the church are greater than their passion for the lost, the local church dies. When my passion, when my preferences as the leader, when your preferences as the congregants, when our preferences matter more than the people outside, we might as well close down now and go home. Because found people find people. And listen, I get it. Like Mount, are you, Mount family, are you willing to sacrifice so that others, so that those on the outside can get inside? Are you willing to sacrifice the things you want, the things, your, your preferences, your needs, so that those who are far from God can get on the inside? And I get it, right? Like life would be so much easier if we didn't have to worry about inviting people to see and experience Jesus. Like think about it. You would have found a parking spot much easier this morning. If we didn't have to invite these people all the time, you would be able to sit in the same seat every single week and no one would ever take it. If we didn't have to invite all these people, I wouldn't have to preach three times every week. I could preach once and then go take a nap. You wouldn't have to wait in line for your lattes and your coffee. You wouldn't have to wait in line to use the bathroom. Your kids would have a spot in kids' ministry every single week without that classroom ever getting full. Life would be so much easier if we didn't invite people. That's not who we are as a church. Why? Because we believe with everything in us that found people find people. And as a church, as long as there is one person, one person who thinks their marriage cannot get any better, one person who thinks that their addiction is too powerful, 
one person who thinks that the life they live now is all it will ever be and it will never get any better and there's no hope or purpose or future. As long as there is one person who thinks that they are worthless and have no value and have no good, one person who thinks that their struggle will never disappear and it's just going to define them and be who they are, one person who thinks that happiness is never going to be a part of their life, one person who is far from God, one person, if there's one person, we will not stop. We will not quit because we are a church where found people find people. We will do what others are not doing to reach people that others are not reaching. We believe the local church is the hope of the world when it is mobilized, so we will go to people and invite them to come and see this God who changes lives each and every week. We believe if we can get people in the presence of Jesus in the room, he will do what he can do. We will lay down willingly our preferences so that those on the outside can come inside. Church, who are you bringing? Who are you bringing? And like I said last week, it's not because we want our buildings full. It's because we want eternity full. And this building, whether it's Fredericksburg, El Monte, Stafford, Bealton, or wherever we happen to be. It's like a holding room for what's to come. And I want our holding room to be full of people who can't wait to experience forever. Such a party moment. Who are you bringing? Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you God, you are a God who initiates and invites people. God, for those of us that have been following you for a long time, each and every day you are still inviting us to take a deeper step. You are inviting us into your presence, to your love and your forgiveness. Maybe you're here today as we continue praying and if you were just kind of being honest and bold this morning, you would say that there's someone in your life that you need to invite. Maybe you've been hesitant, nervous, trying to figure out, I don't know what words to say, I'm gonna mess this up. Let me just say, man, be bold, be courageous. The church has thrived and functioned at its best when it is full of bold, courageous people who tell others to come and see. So if that's you this morning, I just wanna be able to pray with you. If you say, man, there's someone in my heart that I know I need to be inviting to church and I just haven't, would you just raise your hand wherever you are? Hands all in the room. I pray for every hand that is raised, Father, that you would give them supernatural spiritual boldness to be a person who invites. God, I pray for the person they're thinking about inviting. You would begin breaking down walls and barriers and excuses, God, that they would respond to an invitation to come and see your goodness and your grace. So we continue praying. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a person that someone has invited. Can I just say I've been there? In fact, every single one of us in this room, whatever campus we happen to be on, we all are here because someone at some point in our spiritual journey invited us to come and see. So you are not alone in the fact that you are here because someone else invited you. But here's what I will say. It's not by accident. You are here because God 
put it in that person's heart to invite you because God wants you to know that he loves you and he cares for you. And I can still remember the first time for me 19 years ago when I stepped in church for the very first time after someone invited me. And I was overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by my selfishness and God's goodness. By my drifting life and his purpose. And can I just say that could be you this morning. If you're here for the very first time and you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, the guy who died 2,000 years ago to forgive you, to erase your debt to God so that you could live a purposeful life full of joy and satisfaction. If you, for the first time in your life in the stillness of this moment, wanna respond, just slip up your hand wherever you are. Jesus, I need you. If your hand is raised, whatever campus you are at, just pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner. I need your love. Come into my life. Be my king and my Lord. Jesus, I turn, I repent, and I run to you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and our prayer team didn't make it around to you with a card, we want to let you know that on the seat back in front of you, there is a QR code. You can scan that QR code and let us know about your decision to follow Jesus. For the rest of us, we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing and worship a God who invites us to go deeper into him. And if you want a prayer, if you have something going on in your life, our prayer team will be down front at all of our campuses. Let's stand and let's sing.